Hello and welcome to Asia Tech Podcast. We are on a tour of the Asian startup ecosystem. We're out to find the who's who in the startup ecosystem. Now, we all know about the startups. We know that they are out there, they're doing their thing. But who are the people behind the startups? Who supports that startup ecosystem? Who builds the platforms for those founders? We are now talking to accelerators, funds, co-working spaces, the unsung heroes of the startup ecosystem. So I'm really pleased that we are here today in probably one of the lesser known vertical sectors of the startup ecosystem as well. We are here in the cyber space, particularly in cyber security. And I'm with Nicole and Anton from Cylon. Welcome. Thank you very Thank much. You. Happy so, to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. So Anton Opperman and Nicole De Silva. Let's talk a little bit about yourselves first and your background, and then we'll talk about Cylon. So as I understand it, you're Singaporean, Nicole. Yeah. So what's your background? Did you come from the cybersecurity space? Oh, actually, no. I started my career out in banking, and then I worked for a local tech series, a pre-series A startup in Singapore before joining a not-for-profit for women entrepreneurs, and then landing up in Cylon, helping with the program here. Great. So do you consider yourself an entrepreneur? Or? Well, not really. I, I, I think of myself someone as someone who likes to help companies grow. Yeah. 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 So you're the program manager here in yes. Silent. Okay. So we're going to ask you about how the program works, what kind of startups you get in and so on. Okay. So we'll go there in a minute. But yeah. first, sitting to myself, on to my left, Anton Opperman. Mm -hmm. You have an interesting background. You are from, well, we're trying to dissect the story a little bit off air there. Originally from South Africa. Yep. And then? A bit of a mongrel, so I grew up on an African game farm, uh, then was in the UK, 16, 17 years out of London and Europe, worked across Europe, um, and then spent the last six or seven years after that based out of Australia, Melbourne and Sydney, and then I've been in Singapore for about the last year. Okay. Started in technology, banking technology, um, and then worked for a startup based out, in, out of Melbourne for three, four years, then worked for a big company called... Uh, uh, a tech hub called Stone and Chalk out of Sydney mm -hmm. and then uh, followed my wife over to Singapore about a year ago and uh, joined Cylon. Yeah, so you're the MD here at Cylon in Singapore. Uh, I'm the MD yeah, in Cylon Singapore. We also have a, an office in the UK um, but this is a, a Singaporean registered company and we run it from out, out yeah from block 71 now, when did you guys set up here in Singapore because you came a year ago <laughs> but was it running before you came or? no so effectively the um, the I seventy one which Cylon's part of here um, kicked off in March of last year. So twenty seventh of March, twenty eighteen was the official launch of you know the Cylon involvement or the I seventy one or the cybersecurity ecosystem here in Singapore. Mm. So almost one year. Almost one year. We got we we like to think we got a heck of a lot done in that last yeah. year. Yeah, yeah, you have to. So eleven months in, <laughs> mm -hmm. be interesting to know what you've learned in the process. How many batches have you done so far? We're on our second batch at the moment. Yeah. So we've had our first batch was five companies in Singapore and our second one is 10. Actually, we doubled the number of startups we have on board. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's yeah. importantly, that, that's on the accelerator side of things. Mm. Um, we're, we're in Nicole's right. We've had 15 through now. We also run two boot camps. Um, so the boot camps are just week long. If you're a, you know, somebody out there who works, you know, in industry or maybe you've got a PhD you're a PhD student and you think, wow, I wonder if I could take this idea and start a company on the back of it. Mm -hmm. So we run these two boot camps. Well, we've run two. We run two every year just for a week long. And you, you basically sheep dipped. You go from your idea, by the time the end of that week, you will know 
whether you've got a, a potential company. Right. So these are for people very early stage, at the idea stage. I'm not yeah. yet exactly. ready, but I want to explore the yeah. possibility. Uh, I I exactly. And, and it's incredible because everybody knows the kind of, they hear about innovation labs, they hear about accelerators, right? But these boot camps, they, they've really got really like fertile ground. Mm. You know, we've had, I think, 46 people now who've come through them. They're really intense, right? They're, they're 30 hours of, like I say, sheep dip. But on the back of them, a couple of people or a handful of people have actually left their companies, their existing companies and started companies, which is great. And ultimately, we hope they're going to go on the accelerator. Mm -hmm. But we've also had tremendous interest from places like Australia, Taiwan, uh, India, so who want us to run these same boot camps. In fact, they will send delegates over here to attend these boot camps. There's, mm. there's a real hunger or need for entrepreneurs out there who don't just, they've got a great idea, they just don't know mm. how to start a company. Mm. And what are the sort of characteristics <laughs> of the people that come to your boot camps? Are they corporate dropouts, so to speak? And I mean that in a very good way because many of the best startups we see come from that category. People have done 10, 15, 20 years in yep. corporate. They know what's broken. They're not changing the world. They're just fixing a problem. Or are they sort of those sort of 19, 20-year-old Stanford graduates you, in you, shorts? You, you know, that's, it's, it's an excellent, excellent, excellent question that, Graham. When, when we came, when we kicked off the, the boot camps here, because I did a similar thing in Sydney, Australia, I was expecting to get 50-50. So 50% 50 would be those bright little buttons straight out of uni, you know, thought they could become the next Zuck. But here in Singapore, it, and particularly in cyber, it's vastly, vastly different. Of the 46 who've come through our boot camps, I would say probably only four or five are from academia. And of those four or five, there was only one who was an undergraduate. Mm. The others were either running you know, research departments or they were running innovation labs at the universities. Right, so 90, 90 plus percent of your <laughs> Are deep cohort. people who have 10 to 15 years right, experience. Right. And it's interesting, they're not just people who are fixing things um, broken in their work environment, to get to your original yeah, question. Yeah. They're actually people with super, super, super smart ideas. Right. So we had, we had, I mean, I'll give you one or two examples. We had a guy the other day um, based out of Curtin University in Perth, Australia, Western Australia, right? They, um, they, they use these massive telescopes and complex mathematical models to work out the origins of time, right? So this is, you know, you need a brain the size of a planet. Honestly, these are really, and the Australians are really good at this stuff, and Curtin University in particular. Mm. These PhD students, I mean, they're experienced, you know, they're in their late 30s, early 40s. They want to use this technology now to interrogate the dark web to find people who are doing naughty things on the dark web. Mm. How far out is that? Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing. It's just incredible. Similarly, we got some guys from Waikato University, exact same thing, Waikato in New Zealand. The, the farming industry, the dairy industry in New Zealand is a really, really big deal. If the, you know, the milk, you know, the percentage of whatever chemical in the milk changes even fractionally, yeah. that, that you know, 500 million New Zealand dollars dairy farm will just close down, right? Because nobody buys the milk, you know all the scandals, etc. And they've got deep, deep technology to try and protect that industry mm. from people because it's really, really easy just to add some chemicals to whatever in the milking process. Oh, yeah. So you, you get to see some really fascinating ideas coming out there. So these are people, I mean, we talked about the fix, obviously, <laughs> but these people with some really interesting ideas that they tend to be, I mean, th they have to have had 15 or whatever years experience in an industry <laughs> to know it so deeply 
that you don't want to bankroll their education here. They come with all that knowledge, right? So, so they particularly the guys who come on the accelerator. The guys yeah. generally the companies who come on the accelerator, they know what they're doing. It might not be deep tech, deep tech, right? So some of the best companies we've seen, we've got a great one on our accelerator right now called Bluefish. They um, they've they've recognized a need in the Southeast Asian market because you know all these cyber training videos, et cetera, you get, which nobody seems to do in corporates anymore. Mm. There's always some American accent, some American version of it. They've, they've recognized a really good need, big need here um, to develop this training for the Southeast Asian market. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's incredible. If you, you always think cybersecurity is deep tech, right? It is to an extent, but on the other side, it's totally not. These are just basic training models, modules that can be applied for 65-year-old little old ladies in Singapore who are getting scammed all the time. The market mm. for you know the number of these people who get scammed. So it's really low-tech, really low-touch, but doing making a real, real difference to people's lives. Mm. Fascinating. I, I don't understand cybersecurity enough, so help me out here. Look, first of all, let's talk about what it is and what it isn't. So there may be some misconceptions about <laughs> what it is, right? I mean, you must face this a lot, right? And yeah. a part of that is educating the market. Because my, the second part of my question is that in Southeast Asia and Singapore as well, because, you know, if you were to go back to the US, it's a lot more evolved, isn't it? Because there's many more parties involved. There's a lot more funds available. Here, here we're sort of more at the cutting edge of cybersecurity in terms of the accelerators as well. So tell me a little bit, help me understand as well, what cybersecurity is, and also where we are that as a vertical sector here in Singapore. Shall I take this one? So it, 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 you come probably to the crux of the problem with cybersecurity here, because people really, really struggle. And it goes from, it, it is a broad church, it goes from creating training videos for those 65-plus-year little old ladies in Singapore who are getting scammed, all the way across through to people interrogating deep space and using that to interrogate the dark web. Mm. It, it touches, like, everything we do today is digitalized, right? There's software solutions, there's hardware solutions. It, it is absolutely so broad, right? It can be, there, there are 51,000 ships out there who, who sail around Singapore, or so, those big ocean liners who sail over there. Those ships use really, really old Windows or NT technology, mm. right? They are so exposed to cyber hackers, right? So it can go to finding... If, if one of those ships stops for a day, they lose a million, million and a half at the drop of a hat. They cannot even get cyber insurance today, right? Because nobody knows how to insure those ships. So there's solutions, A, for, let's say in the shipping example, let's just say simple, simple ways of training the sailors. There are only 18 to 20 people who run those ships, training them, one. Mm. Two, ways of security, securing those old computers that are based on, 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 on board. Three, there's, there's solutions that can be, you know, back at, back at base to monitor, check, you know, a, a security operations overview of what's happening on those ships. And then there's obviously the one trying to work out some form of insurance for, for that. So uh, hopefully that's given you a view. It goes all the way from training mm-hmm. through tech solutions, hardware solutions particularly to pr- protect it, as well as the insurance on the financial side of it. Mm. But, 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 what you touch on there, people not understanding what cybersecurity is, that's what makes it so very difficult for a lot of early stage startups. So, you know, I've come from the fintech, insurtech background. It's really, really easy to explain to somebody how an app works, a payment app or whatever. You know, and that's when people think of fintech startups. That's what they think a lot of the time. So, so it's easy for them to get investment. But if you're an investor, 
and you want to invest in something like cyber, immediately you think, whoa, I need deep technology. tech knowledge. I need to do really, really deep tech due diligence because mm-hmm. I don't understand it. So if you, you know, those early stages, which is often family offices, friends, fools, etc., they, they're very reticent to put money into those mm. those early stage startups, which is which is a really vicious cycle because those startups it takes them, it's it's a lot harder to sell a cybersecurity solution into a big company than it is to sell a payment solution mm. or a banking solution etc. It just the cycle to sell it just takes so much longer. So you couple with that long sales cycle with the fact that you can't get money at the early stage means that valley of death as we talk about yeah, or, yeah. or chasm of doom. You know, a lot of startups it's like. Nine to twelve months for cyber, it's double that. Mm. Yeah, you, you raise an interesting point, which is, if I was a fintech startup, it would be a lot easier <laughs> for me to go to early stage angel investors yep. or even a micro fund here in Singapore because mm-hmm. they're out there and raise the money to you know get nine twelve months runway to get mm-hmm. an MVP out. You know, then maybe I can talk to the big companies, exactly. right? And and you know maybe get a couple of deals there, right? Yeah, with cyber. You mentioned because it, it, it the technology involved that maybe those early stage investors have to be specialists, right? Yep. They have to have that sort of information available to them to do the due diligence exactly. on a specific startup. So, is that a catch twenty two? How do we sort of move that forward? Are they out there? Those angel investors, you know, are they? You know, you kind of want those exits to come back through into the, the mm-hmm. ecosystem, don't you? Like, yes. I'm, a, I'm a second generation angel rather than a family office guy looking for 12% return, right? So Exactly. And it's really interesting when you mention the 12% because that, that's a story you see all the time. Oh, I want to put my money in or get 12% out by the end of the year. The exits are seven, eight years away, right? You can make a lot more money, but the exit's long. Yeah. But, but, but you're right. It, it is a vicious circle. And But what, we, what we're trying to do here is, I mean, there's there's a huge part of you know, what we're doing here in Singapore across the last year in terms of educating the general population. So yeah. as a great example, and it's hot off the press, so last night we had a um, our launch party for our second accelerator. So we ha- we actually had a panel of, you know, a guy who used to work for, you know, the, 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 the Dutch intelligence service. Uh, so he spent time in, in Basra and places like that. He worked, you know, he ran Palantir here in Southeast Asia as well as, you know, the chief investment officer uh, from Fund Singapore, right, as mm-hmm. well as the guy who works um, for HSBC. So, so these are big players, right, yeah. in a panel, explaining to the community who is here. And we had about, we, I think we stopped the uh, RSVPs when we got to about 90 people, explaining to them why, you know, what are the nuances, why it's difficult for these companies, etc. And then, then our startups would pitch to them, just, just a 90-second pitch, and then they could discuss them with them. But we also, so in the beginning of April, we're having a... Um, a special kind of, I don't want to call it education system because that session, because that just sounds a bit nebulous, but actually sitting down with the angels here, sitting down with the early stage investors here, just to explain, because there are some fantastic returns, obviously, in cyber, and a lot of the cyber companies are going big. And yeah, in Singapore, we, you know, it's now the sixth pillar of defense. Mm. It's, it's yeah. massive all over the world, right? So there's a lot of money to be made in cyber for investors. So what we're trying to do is get them involved. I mean, Nicole's got, I think, 150 mentors who come in and talk to our accelerators of which they're probably 40, 50, now VCs, et cetera. In fact, I just came from before this meeting. I was talking to an early stage fund setting up, explaining to them all the intricacies, et cetera. And, and, and they were desperate for people to work with them, mm. a horizon scan and find investors, uh, find companies to invest in, because it's hard to find companies to invest in. And then B, as you say, do the due, do the due diligence on mm. those companies. Yeah. 
I mean, I love what you're doing here. I mean, it's a challenge, right? But <laughs> yeah. you're right. I mean, a, as a space, it's there's no doubt. I mean, if you were to look at the comparisons and you go to the US or even Europe, there's plenty of money there in cyber, cybersecurity, sorry. Yet here, we're sort of like a bit behind the curve and we're catching up a little bit. And maybe one of the, the missing elements that we're kind of waiting for, and it's just a matter of time, is like the success case studies, right? And what I want to do is talk a little bit about some of the ones that have come through your program as well, because they are the, the rising stars of the ecosystem as well. But, you know, even if we were to forecast forward. I mean, if you were in e-commerce now in Southeast Asia, it's easier to yes. raise money than it yeah. was six or seven years exactly. ago. Because those, you know, those trails have been blazed by the Lazadas and all these kind of people in the world. That, that's now easy for somebody to see the return they're going to get with an investment. Where are we with cybersecurity specifically in Southeast Asia as well? Do we have any sort of like shining lights out there who are sort of close to large exits? So, it, I mean, it, once again, Graham, it's, it's a really, really good question. Um, the short answer is they're very, very few. Yeah. So when Nicole runs her boot camps or runs her accelerators, one of the key things she does on every single one of those accelerators is get one or two what we call founder stories. So people from like Viki or Apvera or Hurangi, you know, to come in and stand up and say, I'm a North you know, the North Pole, yeah. we've done North Star, we've done this, etc. This is the problems we went through, to, to inspire people. But but in Southeast Asia, if you can find me 10 cybersecurity startups who've done it, you know, I, I've been pressed. Yeah. But that said, on our, and, I, and I love telling this story, on our, um, because for, for Nicole and I, these companies, I mean, they're almost our little babies, right? I mean, we cry when they lose a deal. We cheer when they get oh, yeah, a deal, yeah, yeah. You're right? On board emotionally. <laughs> we're emotionally bored. Yeah, yeah. we, we're not even. Yeah. But 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 we had a, a company. We had, as Nicole was saying, we had five companies come through our last accelerator, right? We started small for the first one. We got ten for our second one. But one of the companies that came through our first one was Sockview. They're an Indian-based company. Um, they were hungry and they worked hard. Yeah. These guys flew over, away from their wives and kids for three months, right? Which is tough, right? They were both family guys, etc. Really, really lovely guys. In October last year, these guys could not pay their gas bills here in Singapore, right? That, that's how so kind of they got down to the wire, but mm. they believed in what they were doing. Both of them experienced guys, 15 years, blah, 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 in industry, etc. They pitched at our demo day here on the 15th of October last year. Um, wave maker here in Singapore soiled them and thought, wow, these guys are good. We then flew them to the London where they pitched in the London, um, uh, the Cylon London um, demo, demo day. Yep. Thanks, Nico. And um, a big VC there, Crane, saw them, loved them, mm. right? That company today, um, and I think I mentioned a little earlier, they're, they're on a plane actually to RSA, RSA in San Francisco at the moment. Once again, they're going to pitch there. But those, those two founders who in October last year couldn't pay their gas bill, today are worth five and a half million US dollars. Mm -hmm. That's what they come to with. And y you know, it sounds really cheesy, right? But those are the reasons, that's the reason why we do this kind oh of yeah, stuff. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's a fantastic. Yeah. But, but just back to of the other five companies who were on, the, on that accelerator, two of them now have raised decent amounts of money as well. So it's, it's not all bleak out there. Mm. There are, are role models. Things are moving forward. Uh, and I would bet the house on the 10 that Nicole's got on her accelerator now, a number of those I would personally want to invest in. So let, let, let's talk a little bit about Sockview and, and 
Sokview, if you are watching this or listening to this, congratulations <laughs> on the journey. Shame you couldn't join us, but maybe that's a future episode as well. But, you know, it takes the story. and it, we, we all learn through story, don't we? And, you know, we, we make change in our life when we hear a story. It's a seed planted in our head and it makes things possible, right? So now that Sockview are one step ahead of your next batch as well, they've sort of opened that up, possibility for this new batch coming through. Yeah, I can do this as well. I know the pathway. You know, I may have to jump on a plane and go to London and, you know, I may have to do this. I may have to take it right to the wire and maybe I won't eat today or maybe I'll eat Maggie yeah. noodles for the next <laughs> week. But this is the reality, right? Because they can see the, the outcome and the, op the upside as well. Tell me a little bit about the people behind Sockview. Like, what was it about them because it was a lot harder for them to raise funds than it would be, let's say, if they were maybe in blockchain. You know, they had the flavor of the month. What was it about them and their personalities that particularly impressed you? What do you think they had? I think Jay is an amazing founder because he's very disciplined, very hungry, and also, most importantly, very humble. So when he came on the program, I think he had one U.S. customer at that point in time. By the end of three months, he built up a really big pipeline of PRCs in Singapore and in India of about 1.8 million USD. And I think what set him apart is that the tenacity, the discipline to come to work at 7 a.m. in the morning, even though he has calls at 2 a.m. at night yeah. in the U.S. And the fact that whatever, whoever he met, he was always so humble and willing to learn. Every person he met, all we, so during the program, we bring about, about 80 to 100 mentors who come in to work with the startups, either from buy-side corporates or potential investors or people who have you know, experience of sales and marketing, for example. I think Jay took each and every opportunity to really listen, learn, and tweak, tweak mm. every little bit of advice that comes his way. So that's what I think. That's why I think Jay's a really strong founder. Yeah, yeah. Th those yeah. are great qualities, aren't they? That so, in, in the kind of cyber, I, I don't know your experience, Graham, but in the startup world, we always use that. You, you know, you back the jockey, not necessarily mm. the horse, because mm. mm. you know they pivot, they change, etc. And I think Nick, Nicole, kind of touched on a really good. Jay, Jay was. We still is, you know, he's, he's humble. People really liked him. People really trust him. But he, he would adapt. He would listen. He would change. He would pivot. Mm. And I think, I think really, f his hard work and that ability of his was just fantastic. Yeah. Those two characteristics alone, that ability to listen, you know, and uh, importantly, listen to the right people because there's a lot of advice out there that can take you in the wrong direction. So you've got to have a strong north star, mm. right? And also hustle. You know, how much we <laughs> underrate that skill in the startup world that technology doesn't sell itself, does it? You know, you've got to get out there. You've got to beat the the path to the You've got to kiss, kiss 100 frogs, as we say here. Yeah, yep. yeah exactly. Yeah, you've, got to, you've got to kiss them. Yeah, get over it. But one, one of the deep joys in our, the stats, I don't have them at hand, but one of the deep joys, I'm not trying to sell an accelerator here because you know accelerators as well as I do, but one of the deep joys of an accelerator is it's really hard if you're not an accelerator to meet an investor, meet you know, an, a, a company to buy. But you get somebody like Nicole who will bring you 80 to 100 across 12 weeks who will be in these drop-in sessions, in mentoring mornings. And then, of course, you've got like the 90 or whatever we were here last night for the launch party, 150, 160 will be at the demo days. That's the joy of an accelerator. And I'll you know, be an advocate for accelerators in any domain, anywhere in the world because that's what they bring these startups. As mm. long as they're not you know, taking their face off and trying to take 10% equity or something stupid like that. So, I mean, <laughs> th this is what I want to ask you about that, because you, you have 
access to a lot of ideas and people who are pitching you to get onto your accelerator or people who come to your boot camp who may be at that very sort of early stage as well. So you are subject to a, a lot of noise. That's just that's just part of it, right? So, you know, everybody's got the next big thing, mm. you know, and you don't have time mm. to go through all the pitch decks. Mm. You've just got to take people on what they're saying to you right here, right now, and so on. And I think this is a part of the ongoing conversation about the, the startup ecosystem here in Asia and a part of this tour is that, you know, what is it that you look for in those startup founders at that early stage. I was talking to Vinnie Laurier from yeah. Golden Gate about this, and he said that his, you know, effectively his job is pattern recognition, is that you know, he sits across from thousands of pitches, whether it's you know, e email or you know, an introduction or somebody here physically, mm -hmm. and just getting very good at recognizing those qualities fast. You know, we talk a lot in the startup ecosystem about passion, but I, I feel that Passion is just a ticket to get to the game, right? You know, that doesn't win or lose the game. It, it's pa Passion gets you the playing field, right? Yeah. What happens next is really those qualities. W we had a good interview with um, the Antler guys as well, and, and yeah. Magnus from Antler. He, he was like, you know, I look for, I won't do his Norwegian accent, the spike. <laughs> the spike. Is that the, the spark? Spi the spike. No, the spike. The spike. I mean, he, he's an ice climber. Oh, well. right, it's the spike in the personality. You know, you know, if you took the bell curve of personalities, <laughs> yeah. they're sort of, you know, real strong entrepreneurs are sort of at that <laughs> edge, the, the fringes <laughs> of, of personality, of social acceptance, if you like. What, what about you? You've sat across from a lot of founders, from a yeah. lot of people trying to make their dreams reality. What, what do you identify and you say... Okay, I haven't. S you said the jockey, not the horse. What is it you look for the jockey? Because in horse racing, it's obvious they're small. Right? So <laughs> an Irish accent, right? But in or founders, what is it, right? What do you I mean, look for? It's, it's, it's interesting. So when we look at startups, and it, you know, uh, Magnus's point about the spike, it, 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 that's very difficult when you go cross culture as well, right? Mm. Particularly because you're right, you're using, you're using an Anglo-Saxon view, yeah, you could go for the spike and you kind of pick up the spike. But coming to Southeast Asia, that's a very different story. Because you wouldn't have thought somebody like Jay has got a spike from Sockview, right? Mm. He's a very humble guy. He speaks really quietly, very calmly, etc. So he, you wouldn't have picked up his yeah, spike. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so you've got to be really, really careful with that one. You know, I'm a brash kind of Aussie, blah, blah, blah. You know, you kind of, yeah, you can think, oh, he's going to be spiky, but I might be just useless. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it, 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 it's a it's a damn good question. And we work exceptionally hard when, when we do our outreach. One of the things we do is we have massive outreach. We, we're lucky. We're standing on, you know, Cylon UK, who's been around for four or five years, got deep, you know, the founders, one was with Cameron, one was with Blair, their security advisors, right? So they're massive experience in the cyberspace right so we, we kind of look for probably four things we, we look at the product is it a smart product is it just stupid is there a market for the product hmm. we look at the founder and his or her team and how they work together and then we kind of the fourth leg to the stool is we kind of see how they could fit in with the rest of the code because these guys learn so much of each other you know you look out there on the left there they're, they're, they're they're hundreds of years' experience. You know, at least at least four or five of the ten companies out there have started a company, sold it, done well out of it, right? And as they can work with each other, learn from each other, that's really, really important. Mm. It's much like a job interview, I suppose. You you see thousands of them. You, you know, you have, we have a very complicated ranking system before that seven or eight people, you know, ER entrepreneurs in residence who've got 30, 40 years, will rank them on those four characteristics. Then they come into an interview. 
we go for the chemistry, we go for the personality, we do look for a spike, the person, mm. you know, the passion, the drive, almost the hunger. But it, but it is but it's tough, and we do get it wrong, right? Of every, of course, of every eight, absolutely, you have to, yeah, right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you have to, because you're dealing with human beings, right? But but the interesting thing is, I, I found, and uh, look, I haven't been around a hundred years, but I'm finding, you know, the more of these guys I work with, most people who at a post MVP stage, who've given up their jobs, who get through to being on to an accelerator, right? You know, they must have an eight, nine out of ten chance of being a success mm. if you can just help them. If you can link them with the correct people, right? I mean, I know I sound like a, some kind of Jesuit priest really believing in these the startups, mm. but mm. if you've given up your day job where you were earning, yeah, in Singapore, three, four hundred grand a year, right? You, you prepared to give everything up to build your product, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you, you've, you've demonstrated a huge amount of passion, drive, et cetera. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of pausing to think <laughs> about that because there's an interesting um, theme, isn't it? When you talk about Sockview and Jay, you know, they gave up something to come here yeah. and, yeah. and to, to get off your ass, to fly. I know it's the same continent, but, you know, to come to a different place in the world and to, it, it, you know, from moving from India to Singapore. Singapore is not cheap, right? No, it's, you it's no. incredibly expensive. want to come here unless you are on a good expat <laughs> package. There's challenges. So you've got to make sure that you are, you know, in the right place doing what you really care about, right? And, you know, you may end up eating the Maggie noodles for yeah. several <laughs> weeks, right? So they gave up a lot. They sacrificed a lot. And then you, you mentioned the other examples, these people like with the MVPs who you, you think with 8 to 10, you know, 80 to 100% chance of success, they've also given up a career. Absolutely. Right? And <laughs> that's a very emotional decision, right? You know, if you were a very successful, you know, CTO or... IT manager, uh, you could have done that for the next 20 years and ex just ex exactly. off into the sunset, right? And, and we had a great example here, actually, just before this previous cohort of a, of a Singaporean-based company, um, great um, hardware, and we really believed in this company, right? And the two founders, and one of them was, so it's on the back of some deep IP that the company has been around for a long time, so really good IP, good hardware. But the, the, there was this kind of typical, like, techie old older guy and he'd hired a younger guy to be his face his marketing you know to do the kind of shiny people happy people kind of stuff but the shiny happy per people kind of guy he'd given he'd walked away from a 300 plus job 300 350 and you could see the doubts in his eyes building up as he went towards his accelerator he'd only given it up about three months ago yeah and the week or two days before the accelerator he dropped out he just didn't have that, whatever you're talking about, the giving it up to do it. And you would have thought, you come on the accelerator, you're living in Singapore already, coming on for 12 weeks, you're going to go through a startup MBA in real depth, meet like 80 to 100 people, have these great events, all you're based on deep IP already. You would have thought it was quite, mm. quite compelling, but he didn't have it. He couldn't yeah. give it up and he had to go back to. So if I was a startup <laughs> founder... And I have a couple of options here. If I'm a sort of really early stage, maybe I have a day job and I'm exploring or maybe I'm mm -hmm. sort of like developing some IP of, you know, maybe I'm in education and, and I've been researching something that I think has commercial potential. You, you have your boot camps where yeah. you can kind of like just explore. Yes. If, if I'm later stage and, you know, I'm now ready to commit and I come here and I sit with you, Nicole and Anton, and say, look, this is where I am. I, I want to make this happen. You know, here's, it's a great idea. I need your help. 
you know, I am probably less strong on the commercial side than I am on, you know, the yeah. technology and the mm. intellectual side. What do you want to see there, like sitting in this chair? What, what do you want to see? What, where do you want them to be in their development stage? Do you want them to be purely at the idea stage? Do you want them to have an MP, MVP? Do you want, what are sort of prerequisites f to make this sort of interface between them and you really work? Mm. Do you want I'll take that one. So normally when we see founders in Singapore, one of the key things we look out for is the founding team. Because this accelerator is going to be quite intense, we usually take teams of two people and above, and they usually have an MVP in place. Yeah. Maybe a little bit of angel funding or some skin in the game as well as founders. But most importantly, they need to know why they're choosing this accelerator. Because there's so many out there. We specialize in cybersecurity. Mm. So you're really here just to grow your product market fit, making sure that you get access to the right people, and also, on the on our end, I guess, we also look at, you know, whether they had the right chemistry and the right hunger and the drive to go ahead. Like mm. Anton mentioned, mm. um, the person who was on, who gave up halfway, didn't yeah. have that spark, which was something that we, we need to see in you to yeah. be on board. Yeah. So we, we, we'd kind of be kind of post-MVP, as Nico was saying. So you've got to have a product, you know, you're getting input from, you know, customers, et cetera, as to how the product's doing. and But you'd probably be at seed or pre-series A. Right. You're looking for a million, million and a half US to scale your business, grow it, et cetera. And, and you look, you've got one or two customers. They might be paid, might not. You've got a bit of runway to keep you alive. That's what we'd be looking for. If they haven't yet pitched friends and families, or fools, as you said, <laughs> would, you, would, you, would you consider them? Would you think that they, would you need some kind of validation at that point before you took them on? I mean, I think we probably would take them up. Mm. Yeah, if they've got an MVP, they don't have to have pitched to right. fools, friends and family, right? And one of the first things we always say to these guys is don't invest your own money yeah, because you can just get burnt, right? And we, yeah, see, we see companies, so, we, so we, we, we tell them, so yeah, absolutely. You know, quite a number of them will have, you know, family or an uncle. They often have an uncle who really believes in them, really believes in the idea, et cetera. Yeah, okay. It gets them going, the old bootstrap. And some of them do which is always a difficult model. Some of the companies, they kind of do a bit of services on the side. Yep. Or they'll have one of the founders is still working in a big bank or something, subsidizing yeah. the other people growing it. Yeah, yeah. it makes sense in some yeah, cases. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you don't have to jump straight in, yeah. do or die, do you? you want to yeah. kind of, I mean, if you have that sort of onboarding, <laughs> it can exactly. help grow the business long term. Uh, I know you mentioned, for example, and there are many reasons for this, but I want to hear yours as well, is that you would consider two up in terms of a founding team, would you ever consider a single founder? Would you help match make those people? Because I imagine if you especially came from certain backgrounds, like for example, education, that you were a postgrad or you were a researcher and you were really deep in the weeds of your technology, you may not know many people outside of your space. You may only be you on your own. Would you consider that kind of person? How would you help them? Well, I mean, often we're in the cyberspace, the hardest person for you to find is the tech lead, right? Because uh, the nature of the beast, a lot of them are tech solutions, right? Um, we very, very, very rarely go for single founder mm -hmm. because that deep tech person isn't good generally at a lot of the other CEO stuff. And if you're just a CEO without a deep tech person, well, or a tech person, how are you going to build your product? So we generally don't. I mean, in, in rare occasions, particularly in London, we have done it. We, we, we generally don't. We don't do matchmaking Okay. In terms of, you know, you know, if you're a founder and you want to join our accelerator, then we'll go and try and find you another seat. 
there's no point for us. We we get hundreds of applications. We four or five times oversubscribed, etc. Yeah. That said, on the program, when people join the program, we have people who come in, you know, talk about how to grow your program, how to scale your program, how what's your organizational structure, and we do look to help. You know, let's see the let's say the the, the ladies who are training um, with the training material for Southeast Asia. Mm. They need to now scale their product. They use an Indian off offshore house to build their product. Fantastically, they've got their first paying clients. Fantastic. Now they're going to scale, and and they are going to they will hit a hockey ship hockey stick shaped curve guaranteed because these training companies do. They now need a good CTO. So we are out there trying to right. help them link people up. But actually, very heartening for us. Yeah, the cohort. Yeah, is helping them too because these guys and girls are all linked into the the community. Right, they go to every single meetup. They know the players. They know, and they're linking them up, which is just fantastic. And that you know when I said the fourth leg of the stool, it's how the cohort works together. That is vitally important to mm. us. They learn from the mentors, they learn from the investors, but they learn from each other. The one area where we do kind of matchmake a little bit is when we do the boot camps. Yeah, yeah I imagine that's better. <laughs> yeah. <Right. laughs> exactly, because yeah. you get a lot of people with sparky ideas and you get a lot of deep techies and you say, hey, yeah, yeah. hey, it's not quite like not quite like America's got talent here, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but, 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 but we do. And it works well, right? Absolutely. And it's a great place to go. I mean, if you're yeah. at that, I mean, if anybody's watching or listening, if you're at that stage, the boot camp's a great starting place, isn't it? And yeah. I think as well for you, the validation is that they have to be able to pitch somebody else to join their team. If they yeah. can't do that, then really it's not your role to be matchmaking for them, right? Yeah. There's something missing, right? Exactly. You need the drive to go and find those people. But one thing I just want to be really clear on, Graham, is we don't, um, so we run the, the, the boot camps and we run these accelerators which is great but that's we're not we're not here to actually make money out of these companies ourselves right so one of the key things we're trying to do is build this overall community so we take hundreds of calls from anybody and they come in here to meet us if you've got a cyber idea you've got a cyber company doesn't matter what stage you want a mentor you want advice on starting mm. you want advance you want to link up with somebody in Australia or somebody in the UK or do I know a mentor at Golden Gate Ventures in you know, San Francisco, we, we, we meet people, we talk to, people, talk to people every single day of the week. It's all about the community for us here. Mm. Great. I mean, obviously, we'll put at the end of the show the details so people to reach out to you sure. as well, because I'm sure some people listening to this, especially in this space as well, will be inspired to take some kind of action, even if it's early stage and coming to the boot camp yeah. or asking a question and so <laughs> on. I want to ask you then, I think, you know, there's this key point about ecosystem builders and I'll put you into that category you know accelerators funds and you know mm. all the programs is that what most people don't realize is that you also think and behave like a startup it's not like yeah. you had the blueprint day one <laughs> of like here's the white combinator out of the box turnkey solutions for building an accelerator and you just executed and that's what it's going to be for five ten years right every startup accelerator that I talk to is evolving yes. and they've learned so much you know, even in year to year, they say, okay, right, we started, we did this, we made a lot of mistakes. We now have a bit more focused on what we want and who we want and how we're going to execute that. So can we talk a little bit about that? What have you learned in this journey? With a year almost in the bag, what mm -hmm. are you doing differently now, apart from obviously you're expanding the batch that you weren't doing when you started out? Should I start in... For us, I think, I mean, you, you, an accelerator of the nature we do, which is quite an intense one, we have master classes where we lecture people on topics, let's say IP, how to set up a company, how to protect, how to do a founder's agreement, shelter, you know, the kind of master class stuff. We also do drop-in sessions where we get kind of experts to come in and 
startups can book time with them. But we also do mentoring morning. So, we, you know, and we, we run, like most accelerators, you know, we have a, an investments week, a pitching week, a product week, et cetera. And we get experts from across. And that, and that we do really well. And 100, you know, Nico says 80 to 100 mentors will meet our startups, which is fantastic. But what we've really done to up our game on this one in particular is we, we've got four entrepreneurs in residence now. Right, so we have a professional pitching coach. He's not not one of our EIRs, but we have four entrepreneurs in residence, and we've really tried. We've gone out there because people, you know, it was actually quite easy for us to get 150 mentors, which is astonishing. There are 150 people right. on this island who will give their time for free to help startups. Right, so that shows people really want to help. So we we've really you know increased our bench press. We got like a deep technologist, you know, who's our kind of CISO in residence. We've got a deep guy who's like exited three or four companies himself also tech companies who's our eir we've got a business eir so somebody who works for singtel innovate he's personally exited seven or eight but he's got kind of that business commercial slant and then we have a early stage um cyber investor who sits here in the office with us so all these ERs are based in here for these startups to talk to at any time of day we also flew over a professional communications consultant from london our communications director mm. just for the first 10 days or for the first 8 days so we we starting so we've pivoted a lot in terms of we've got this bench press bench of really talented people but also right up front we've got like our comms expert and our pitch expert right up front in our first 2 weeks to really you know get these guys off to a flying start so that throughout the you know the next 10 weeks they know their pitches they know their messages they can talk to this bench of, of, of industry experts. We, we're really hoping. I mean, we, we honestly believe that's going to have t- turned the dial for us. Yeah, yeah. And it's good to see you're doing that. It's not done enough in this space, that sort of last mile, which is mm-hmm. really the contact between your startups and the investor community, or even, you know, as well, their, you know, clients and also their potential CTOs or, you know, biz dev managers or all that talent they want to bring on, which is going to be the, the biggest challenge going forward, isn't it? Finding people oh, to work for startups yeah. who get it to be, you know, they have to go out and pitch yeah. and say, this is the journey we're on. Exactly. Come. So the fact that you have a professional, you know, you, you've got professionals here who are helping them with that sort of storytelling is great because I believe, you know, especially here in technology, we sometimes get a bit lazy. I, we sometimes think the technology will sell itself when actually yeah. you've got to get out there and you've got to tell stories and you know you've got to connect with people so um yeah it's, I mean, it's great i mean I, i've loved hearing the story of cylon as well and what you've done what you're doing i should say here and what you're building because you know th- this is the early stage of the growth of the startup ecosystem here in singapore and yeah. in southeast asia we started very much with generic accelerators you know obviously we had the Murudis and yeah. so on of this world and you know they had their own sort of challenges and now we sort of evolved into these vertical sectors where you are bringing this domain expertise which is really what people need you know yeah, I need exactly. a specific you know input in terms of somebody who's invested in early stage cybersecurity and can show me the case studies and where I need to go and so on that's really the evolution as well so hopefully this only goes one direction, and that's up. Yeah, right? I mean, one year in, you yeah. know, it's exciting. So, I mean, that that said, we are standing. We don't want to take massive credit ourselves. We are standing on the shoulders of Cylon out of London, who's been around since 2015. They've had nine accelerators, you know, raised 325 million sterling. So we we we're lucky in that we can take 
a lot of those learnings apply them here obviously modify them for the southeast asian market etc mm. which Great. is a real advantage because oh, yeah. you can go from here you know we've got links in australia you can go to london and we've got links in the us and all those government and even the middle east we've got links so that really helps because like i say we're all for the startups here you know we're all trying which we're trying to get them like this follow the sun model get them linked up all around mm. the world mm. all right let's put the call out then how do people reach out to you? What is the best way and in what format? What's the channel that works best for you? Um, well, f f for me personally, email's fantastic. Okay. Yeah, you know, Nico, I mean, what's your view? What's the best way? Email us. Yeah, yeah email us. Yeah. Come to our events. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. It's so, or just hi. give us the phone. Come in, say hi. Come into Block yeah. 71 here, meet some of the startups. Maybe listen to a fireside chat. We do a lot of events. Yeah. Yeah. There's good Australian beer. There's, <laughs> there's right, good right, food. Okay. <laughs> We're sold. <laughs> yes. You lost me at beer. But, uh, exactly. Yeah. All right. I mean, that's a great starting point, isn't it? Especially if somebody says, I listened to that conversation that you had and, you know, it really sort of like connected with me on these points. I want to come in and have a chat. Yeah. It's a good starting point, right? All right, so we are at Cylon here in Singapore. This is Graham Brown. I'm with Anton Opperman and Nicole De Silva. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your journey with us. Any way we can support you as well, let us know. We, you know, I mean, this is an introduction as well for us to you and hopefully for our audience to what you're doing here. Fantastic. Anybody that's in this space, as they say, just reach out. Don't be afraid. Just make contact. Come along. Free beer. But more than that, you know, you've got a whole ecosystem here that is valuable for somebody to plug into, right? Exactly. Yes. All right, this is Asia Tech Podcast. We are on the Pitch Deck Asia tour of startup ecosystems in Asia. If you are an accelerator, if you are a fund, if you're a co-working space, we want to hear from you because you know, you're not the natural self-promoters of the startup ecosystem. So we want to hear about the work that you're doing, the space that you're in, and tell us as well about some of your startups. We'd love to hear about some of your success stories and lessons learned as well. Graham Brown signing out.